Podcast. This is our podcast for April 2nd, 2023, and right before we went on the air, I just uh, used the Captain America line. I said, Avengers Assemble. So that kind of triggered our question. Dave, hello. Howdy. Welcome. Marissa, hi. Hello. So if you could be one Avenger, what would it be? Now, we need to, uh, you know, for Marissa being a female, there's only, you know, like really two options to choose from. But let's say, let's say, say gender's not the issue, okay? If you could, if you could be any, uh, oh man, that, that's, hey. <laughs> I'm just being quiet over here. I'm not going to say a single thing. You just yeah. keep going. Brad's wow. the one that was laughing. Brad's wow. the one that went there. We weren't going there. We were going to keep things clean and okay, pure. So, so let me, let me, let me rephrase this. In the multiverse, okay, Thor in one multiverse is a female. There's a female Thor and there's a male Thor. Okay, so. Y'all see what I'm saying here? Well, Natalie Portman was Thor, so... That's she, true. Yeah. Okay. She was not an eye Thor, I think. I'm, I'm still going to just, like... <laughs> I'm just still going to just sit here. Oh, okay, let, let's, just, let's, just, <laughs> let's just roll this back. If you could be any Avenger... There you go. There you go. Let's just, we'll just leave it open. Which Avenger would you be? Uh, Dave, go. Captain America. Captain America. Why? I love... There's something about the nostalgia of, of that that era of superhero from, you know, the image of Americana idealism where someone stands for what's truth and what's just and what's right. No matter what the enemy says, no matter what's coming against you, he comes out against all odds. He never gives up. He never backs down to, quote, your favorite person. He never <laughs> surrenders. There you go. And and in the end, we, we believe he got married to Agent Carter, which, you know, you could do worse. You know, so, yeah. you know, that's that's a good, good, happy, happy thing for Captain America. Marissa, <laughs> I'm not going to make any more comments, gender or otherwise. So. <laughs> Too late. You just what? did, just I, by saying that. Dang it. <laughs> oh, no. what, uh, what Avenger would you be? Well, since you kind of limited my choices, uh, Scarlet no, no. Witch, no, uh, that's okay. Scarlet Witch is the most powerful of the Avengers, and if she didn't turn to the oh. dark side completely... Um, you know, I was more of a X-Men kid growing up than Avengers, okay. but definitely Marvel all the way. And the uh, telepathic uh, mutants were always my favorite. Uh, you gotta love because them. Because then you actually get to know what people are thinking and and ultimate knowledge. That's fun. Yeah. So <laughs> so I know she turned dark, but does she come back to the good side? No. No, no. dang it. Yeah, she's done. Okay. Yeah. All right, but she'd still be her. So I think, <laughs> so of course, I, you know, I just love Tony Stark. Um I'm not as cool or as good looking or any of that, but you know he he's the one who seems to be most selfish through most of the movies, but then does the most selfless thing of all. Mm. And we see that transformation yeah, happen when he realizes, preach, man. oh man! Oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, that moment in the End Game when uh, Doctor Strange looks at him and lifts his finger. This is the one opportunity for you to save, you know, humanity. And the, just the the transition, the the realization of what he needs to do is pretty profound. I could watch that scene about 10 times and maybe I already have today. So <laughs> All right, so Avengers, let's uh let's jump in. Uh, here we are in the middle of a teaching series, boy, and I really feel like for community group leaders, I have left you out I I've left you out to dry because I changed my total approach to this on Sunday mornings. But the idea still holds how to be a mediocre Christian. And we've explored several different things. And if you just want to be a Christian in name only, 
uh, you know, you can call yourself a Christian, but just, you know, live like the rest of the world. Follow your heart, which is always bad advice. Make poor decisions. We see a lot of Christians do that. There's the wise and right thing to do, but we still make poor decisions. Obey your urges, uh, especially bodily. You know, we see a lot of Christians doing this, that there's a disconnect between uh, our relationship with Christ and how we use our bodies. And this last week, I think this is something I, I put in this teaching series because of personal experience of seeing people over the long haul in a church. If you want to be a mediocre Christian or a Christian in name only, just remain to be an unforgiving person. Mm. And this is something that is, has consistently disappointed me over the years as a pastor. Not that I'm perfect, but I think we always try to keep our accounts short. We try to stay in right relationships with others. But the number of times that I've seen people who would call themselves Christians remaining in an unforgiving bent toward other people, family members, fellow church members, staff members, and even when you say, let's sit down and work this out, no, I will not forgive you. It's it's a little disturbing, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, mm-hmm. and it's quite disappointing. Dave, looks like you have something to say on this. Oh. <laughs> it is sad when, when, you, when you lay it all out there and you try to reconcile and people don't want to do it. Um, on the reverse side, when people are obstinate and you push through anyway and you, you keep going, there's something amazing that happens in, in the natural and in the supernatural that, where God allows walls to be broken down in whole new levels. You and I both have stories from, from the past where there have been people that were mad at us for one reason or another. We were completely unaware of it, and, and we eventually were able to sit down with them and just say, you know what, I'm so sorry, I didn't even know. And then you just see their countenance change when, when they get that apology, and they're like, oh my goodness, wow. Like, yeah. One of my best friends in Phoenix, Arizona today, a man named Danny Dillon, he was frustrated at me for something. I wasn't even sure what was happening. He ultimately felt like he, he slipped through the cracks of the church. His, his da- stepdaughter and, and son-in-law uh, were in a car accident, and no one knew about it from the church because they'd unplugged from the church. But uh, anyway, uh, we, I called him, I prayed for him, and, and over that conversation, he went from anger to being best friends, and we check in with each other periodically now, just to encourage each other. I would say if we remain unforgiving toward other people, we are robbing ourselves of the beauty yes. of what it means to restore a broken relationship. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to give a definition of forgiveness here, but Marissa, I just wonder what's going through your mind kind of as a preamble to this whole discussion. Um, well, the scriptures that you chose this um, for, at least for the pastor's cut, I don't know if it's still what you're going with for the sermon on Not Sunday. Not at all. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> but you uh, rested a lot in First John. And it's such a beautiful book of what it means to be in relationship with other Christians and what uh, how your relationship with God influences your life with other people. Um, so as a preamble, as you put it, to this, this discussion, why did John write the letter of 1 John? Um, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make our joy complete. So we've been invited into fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus. And often in Baptist circles, we've kind of used fellowship as this kind of uh, fancy term for unorganized socializing. (laughs) It's just, um, so it's it's beyond um, sharing a meal with someone like we call our fellowship halls or beyond um, just being in friendship with people in our community groups. Fellowship is uh, a relationship bond that promises 
the sharing of a common life and a common goal. It's much more Tolkien-esque, you know, it's much more grand than the way we use it often. Um, so when we're invited into fellowship with Christ, we're invited to share in his life and in his goals and to live our lives as he lived his, to conduct our relationships with God and other people as he did with the goal of bringing the kingdom. Um, so this is how our joy will be made complete. And we have so many examples in the Gospels of Jesus' abundant and generous forgiveness for others and for us, for us as individuals. And if we don't live in that same way, then he doesn't recognize himself in us. That's right. So let me start with the definition of forgiveness, and then we're going to dive into the scripture. And I'm going to ask you all, because there's, there's five scriptures that I've referenced here. Uh, if you're teaching this, you're not going to be able to cover all of them. I would ask you to be selective about what you do and where you go with this, and I'll explain the rationale here in just a moment. But I like the way that forgiveness has been defined. By the way, the way most people do forgiveness is they don't. Mm -hmm. um, either we bottle it up and we say, I'll never talk, speak to that person or speak about this again. That's not healthy. Or we do the Seinfeld thing and we air our grievances, and there's really no reconciliation. We just pour out our anger on somebody else. Neither one of those is what we're commanded to do. Forgiveness means that something really happened that really hurt me or I did that hurt another person. So it really happened, it really hurt, but we are making a decision that that event that happened will no longer separate our relationship with one another. We are making a conscious decision where it really happened, it really hurt, but we're not going to let that event separate our relationship anymore. And I've had a, kind of an aha moment with a person I was in conflict before. We reconciled, we resolved that. A couple months later, we were in a meeting. They brought it back up again, and I said, let's stop right there. I said, we dealt with that, you know, a couple of months ago. Is there something? And that person caught themselves, and it was beautiful. They go, you're right. We mm -hmm. dealt with that. I don't need to bring that up again. And so I'm not saying I'm more righteous than anybody else, because I still go <laughs> back in my mind and rehearse those things that other people have done. And I have to remind myself, really happened, really hurt, but we've made a decision that it's not going to affect our relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me give a couple of leading verses here from 1 John. Again, uh, I'm all over the place in 1 John. I'm sure this made perfect sense when I mapped this out a few <laughs> months ago. Uh, but, but we're given a couple of things just as pure commands. 1 John 2, verse 4. Uh, Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands. This is knowing God, but I'm not going to do what he commands. The truth is not in that person. Okay, so, so to say we know God means that we obey his commands. And what is one of his chief commands? Forgive as I have forgiven you. And so we can't really say that we know God unless we're willing to obey that, that hard command. Uh, and the, kind of the, the end point of this is 1 John 4.11. And what it says, I'm having trouble getting my bifocals here working. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one who has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So this is that very clear command. If we say we know God, then we must love, which means we've got to do the hard work of forgiveness. Um, okay, so there are three other passages here. 1 John 1, 9 through 11, we have been forgiven by Christ. 1 John 3, 11 through 15, anger and unforgiveness is equivalent to murder. And then 1 John 4, 20 through 21, uh, loving God means that we translate into loving one another. So what I'd like to do for a few minutes is instead of covering all of those, to kind of turn it over to both of you mm -hmm. and say if there's one passage that pings for you, and there's one 
that you say, as, as I read this, I go that if I were teaching it, I would focus on this passage and this idea. What would that be? I'm going to go with chapter 3, 1 John 3, okay. 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That, that word for message, it's, it's in the same family as the, the word that we get the gospel from, euangelion. It's, it's a word that it's only used twice in the New Testament, both times in 1 John. Um, Paul uses a variant of it in Colossians 1.28 when he talks about his mission, that he proclaimed the message. He proclaimed that, that message with all boldness. The, in the Greek, the word, the message, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have any bearing on who's delivering it. The, the matter is the truth that's in the message itself. The truth of the message is that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus rose from the dead to change our trajectory, to change our future, to change how we live. And that is the center point through which we act and we relate to other people. And so I would start there to say, let's, let's talk about Jesus. What impact has Jesus made in your life? How have you been forgiven? How have you been reconciled to God? How should that spill out and impact yeah. other people? And then go from there into having the conversation about Cain and Abel and, and where John goes from there. So, so don't you think that if people really, if we, instead of people, let's talk about yeah. you know, us, if we really understood the depth of what we've been forgiven of, they would be so much more generous to forgive others. And maybe that lack of forgiveness is really a lack of understanding of how much God has bothered to forgive me. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, and so instead of trying to, I've really got to get up the gumption to forgive somebody else, maybe we start with, I need to realize how deeply I've been forgiven and how much it cost Christ. Yeah. Start there. <laughs> yeah. Marissa, if you were to ping on a passage, what would it be? Yeah, you already mentioned First John 2, 4. I would definitely emphasize that. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But also First John 4, 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I think that it was actually Chris Matthews who kind of uh, pinged this idea in my head that, that our difficulty with forgiveness um, is reflective of the fact that we were made in God's image, that God loves justice, that even those of us that don't recognize God as our Father, um, we desire justice just as He does. Um, so we understand and recognize that there are legitimate things that have caused harm, legitimate practices that are wrong, that are oppressive, um, that mistreatment and harm... Um, that those are real things and people are at fault for those. And we rightly sense that there should be just consequences for those infractions, that, that something should be done, something needs to be done to right the wrongs in the world. But also because our inner natures are so self-righteous yep. and so prideful um, that our desire for justice kind of morphs into a vengeance. desire for vengeance. vengeance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, that doesn't always mean like an Inigo Montoya level of you killed my father, prepare to die. Oh, but, you know, I just think about like driving on the turnpike and um, somebody cuts you off or like even worse, like makes you turn off your cruise control for just a moment. <laughs> and suddenly there are mortal enemies and you Maybe see... <laughs> you shouldn't use your cruise control on the turnpike. Yeah. It, well, in, so in the city limits. A city limits. Turnpikes on it. City limits. You shouldn't use your cruise control in city limits. You don't know. Oh that? no, no, that's on the turnpike is not okay. city limits. Th that's true. When you're yeah, out, I'm just no, thinking about what... the turnpikes around Tulsa. So. Oh no, no, yeah, okay. yeah, no. Like I'm thinking about like traveling to Oklahoma City. Okay, yeah, there you yeah. go. That, that's okay. I give you permission to use your. Thank you, sir. Your I appreciate your that. That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> you're welcome. But you know, you know, somebody does something minor against you, and then you see them pulled up, uh, pulled over by highway patrol. Yeah. A few miles down the the road, and just 
think about how much joy <laughs> you experience um, when you see somebody pulled over that's done something against you, but you've probably done the same exact thing and, to everyone around you. And they're not thinking about you. When somebody cuts you off, they're not thinking about you. It's not it's not personal, but our, but we take it that way, right? right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we really and do. we are such unfit judges. <laughs> you know, we ourselves are sinners in need of justice. And um, so we cannot um, play judge to other people. And we have to entrust justice to God. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So a couple things come to mind. If, if I were teaching this um, to a group, I would talk about uh, forgiveness in general. I'd also talk about forgiveness in marriage. If I'm teaching a, a married class, I might explore this. And I've said this before, that when you marry somebody, you make the decision to forgive them for the rest of your life. That That's the one person you have made a covenant with that because people in marriage will sin against one another. Uh, and some couples I've talked to, you know, they go back and they replay things that happened in year number one. It's like, boy, you got to, you know, the, I did the same thing to my wife in year number one, but but she managed to forgive me. So it's this, uh, the cradle, I think, of forgiveness is often in marriage and especially in the home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I will throw in this story. Um, I just pulled this out of a file. Uh, glad I stumbled on it. I'll give it to Marissa if she wants to use it in the pastor's cut. But does anybody know the name Alan Patton and what he wrote? No. A little pop quiz? No. Cry the Beloved Country. Did, uh, did you have, yes. to have to read that yeah, yeah, in school? Yeah, yeah, I read that in high school. Yeah, I've recently reread it. Uh, so he was a committed Christ follower. Uh, Alan Patton was, lived in South Africa during some very difficult times in apartheid. And he said this, If I am tempted to hate, and if I fall into that temptation, then either I repent or I cease to be a Christian. Hmm. Just think about the weight of those words. If I'm tempted to hate and if I fall into that temptation then either I need to repent or I cease to be a Christian. That's exactly what John says in 1 John. He said, you can't say you love God and not obey His commands. You can't say you love God and hate somebody else. Mm-hmm. So if y'all were teaching this, what, what approach would you take? What application? What, what quote would you give or idea? Well, going off that, that, just thinking about how much God loves us and how we need to reflect that love to others and that generosity. When we read the story of the crucifixion, one of the most affecting moments is when Christ says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And not only does Jesus forgive his present tormentors, he forgives all of humanity um, in every moment, um, all of us individually across time, um, for our sin and ignorance, for the pain we've caused, for the pain he was experiencing that moment that was very real. And he doesn't just forgive us, but he asks God to forgive us. Mm. So just as I was saying before about, about allowing God to um, be the holder of justice, um, he completely understood that. Uh, Romans 12, 19 through 21 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. And the magnitude of Christ's pain and the weight of our sin and brokenness upon him in that moment, no one has ever deserved more and had more of a righteous, good reason to ask God um, to take revenge <laughs> or to, to, uh, to leave room for God's wrath. But instead, he demonstrated this great, generous, audacious love and forgiveness by interceding us before the God of justice there you go. And, and erasing that. Uh, so that. Man, that goes beyond mercy. That's beyond mm-hmm. justice. And, mm-hmm. or, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. beyond forgiveness. And his love for us in that moment and every moment is this unnatural, uh, generous love and forgiveness. And that's what we're supposed to display to other people. So I wonder what it would be like if, if I taught this and spun off on that. You know, in the seven sayings of Christ, one of them was asking God's forgiveness to say, who's one person in your life you haven't forgiven? Easter's a great time to make that gift to God. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
uh, and I mean, make it real of if you've not forgiven somebody, then in, in that relationship, you have ceased to be a Christian. I would be careful with my theology there, but I think you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And now it's time to repent of that. Right. You cease reflecting Jesus. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's better. Yeah. yeah. That, that either, either I repent or I reflect Jesus in that relationship. It's mm-hmm. one, or, one or the other. Mm-hmm. I ultimately would land, and I'd try and take us through a journey to get there, where let's, let's talk about how, how do we soften our hearts to the place where we can maybe be aware of Good. the fact that there's hardness in our hearts, that, that we've, we've ha- harbored unforgiveness for other people. And, and as part of the pathway to get there, some of that certainly we, I would go where or you went, Marissa. I think I'd look at Ephesians, where, where it's Ephesians chapter 2, where um, just revisiting the gospel and mercy, it's by grace that we're saved. I may even visit Romans 12, where it talks about how we're supposed to surrender ourselves to, to God, again, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Might even explore a little bit of Greg Boyd's book, Repenting of Religion, as a part of that process, how so much of us wants to hold on to that sense of justice or, or identity in, in what we think is right, what we think is wrong, versus learning to lean more into God and leaning more into our relationship with God and finding forgiveness there from us so that we can maybe find a, a softer heart within our souls. Yeah. As a teacher, I would uh, I would encourage you before you teach this. And by the way, this is all kind of messy, but I like it. It's uh, yeah. it's kind of like a stew. Here, <laughs> there's a lot of First John. You can go on here. Yeah. We're throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall, and there, it's all sticking. It's all <laughs> sticking, isn't it? Um, it's you know, a beautiful mess. <laughs> it is. So be sensitive to the spirit uh, as you go in to teach this. Um, and you know, prayerfully, God will be working in your heart. And as a teacher, if there's some unforgiveness that you have. You need to deal with that first, or this message is going to fall pretty flat. And that's that's kind of that higher responsibility of being a teacher. We've got to apply this first. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will just hit on a couple of other ideas, and again, this is random spaghetti, but as we come up on Holy Week, of course, we know that Jesus spoke forgiveness from the cross, but the Thursday before his crucifixion, he sat down and had a meal with his disciples, and we remember the Passover. But then there's the long discourse in John, uh, and we call that Thursday night, we call it Monday Thursday. And the reason we call it that, Monday is a, a Latinization of mandate. So Jesus gives a mandate on Thursday. Mm. And that mandate is in John 13, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the, that's the new mandate that he has given us. Mm. And so that, that applies, applies into forgiveness. Uh, one quote I ran across, um, I don't even know the author, it's not... It's not a real zingy quote, but it's just truth. Without forgiveness, you will have no peace. And even if you speak that over your class, I mean, that's a very simple idea. But there is no peace apart from the forgiveness of Christ. And there is no peace apart from us learning how to forgive one another. Without forgiveness, we will have no peace. Any closing thoughts? I have one more idea I want to hit on, but I want to open up to you guys if there's something you really want to say. I think that in uh, the past, requiring forgiveness of other people's when they've had um, real legitimate physical and emotional and spiritual and sexual harm enacted against them um, yep. ha- is dangerous um, if we're not doing it the correct way. Um, that forgiving other people does not mean you're relieving someone of responsibility. It doesn't mean that they're no longer supposed to be held accountable um, for their actions. Um, it doesn't mean that you 
will trust that person. Bingo. Or continue to put yourself or your family in harm's way with that person. Um, forgiveness is the act of letting God's love flow through you and and allowing God to take um, it alleviates your responsibility and it allows God to take responsibility for that situation. Um, if uh, Doug Easterday puts it like if you're requiring them to answer to you instead of God, mm. um, then you have as big of a problem as you as they do. Um, so uh, just just be careful when you give blanket statements of um, we should forgive everyone everything um, because in some people's lives that has that has real safety implications. That, that's right. And, and thank you for pointing that out because forgiving somebody does not mean that we put ourselves in a position to be harmed again. That is mm-hmm. not forgiveness. Right. In fact, that's very unwise to do that. Um, I, I like what you said there that forgiveness may be another way of defining it is they no longer answer to me for what they've done. Mm-hmm. They answer to God, and that's that's forgiving. That's turning them over to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dave. Sometimes it's easy to have when having a conversation about, okay, am I forgiving everybody? Uh, is everybody forgiving me? It's easy to turn it into a legalistic conversation of checking all the right religious boxes. And my encouragement in the middle of all of this would be to remember, our goal is to run after Jesus. And if I know the people run after Jesus. Yes, forgiveness is an important part of the equation because we've been forgiven by God. But our goal is to point people to know Jesus. And, and so let's keep that perspective in mind in the bigger picture instead of making a, a micro-focus of legalism out of this issue. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to, to introduce Jesus to people if we're unforgiving. If we uh, say, I love Jesus, but boy, let me tell you all the Christians that have ticked me off in the past. It's, not, it's probably not yes. going Brad, Brad, anything you want to say? Well, I think it's also possible to have a forgiveness session without having Jesus in the middle of it, and that's dangerous. You can worship forgiveness just like anything else. It is an attribute of God, but it is not God. And I I know of several situations with my own family where we've had this, we're all going to sit down and have this talk, you know, and we're all going to feel better when it's over because we practiced forgiveness. But we didn't practice it in Jesus' name. We just wanted to err and get it out of the way. Yeah. And that's that's not a bad thing necessarily, but it is not the same as Christian forgiveness, and you got to worship the person who's worthy of it. What, what you described is not a bad thing. It's just not the best thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is It is not the goal, I think. So. So, so I'm going to end on a tough note here. How do you forgive somebody that doesn't want or ask for your forgiveness? Or let's say you need to forgive somebody who has already died, You know what? Mm-hmm. and that there's no face-to-face conversation you can have. And this is a very difficult issue. Again, it's it's releasing them into the hands of God, that you're deciding that you're no longer going to carry them. They're not going to answer to you. They're going to answer to the Lord. And sometimes it takes practice. We have to do that maybe 77 times before we can finally let them go. But uh, this is out of Richard Foster's book, Prayer, uh, Ravensbrook, Nazi concentration camp. Estimated 92,000 men, women, and children were murdered. There's a piece of wrapping paper found near the body of a dead child, and on the paper was written this prayer. Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not only remember the suffering they have inflicted on us. Remember the fruits through that. Thanks to this suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, our courage, the generosity, the greatness of heart which has grown out of all of this suffering. And when they come to judgment, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. 
Uh, I'm going to read one other paragraph that Foster writes here. Uh, it's the people that have hurt us, if God can work all things together for good, even those who hurt us can help bring about the fruit of the Spirit if we allow Christ to take those pains and to do what he wants to in our character. I want to be very careful with this. But now Foster, uh, I like the next paragraph, the idea of repenting on behalf of others may be new to you. Well, don't people have to repent for themselves, you may wonder. You are correct, of course. But each of us must turn for ourselves, uh, that each of us must turn for, for ourselves and, uh, well, I'm really butchering this, each <laughs> of us must turn for ourselves and heart sorrow for our offenses to divine mercy. But, and here's the wonder, our repenting prayers on behalf of others somehow seems to make it easier, more possible for them to turn on their own. How this works, I do not know. That it does work, I am quite certain. It's amazing as we forgive others, it might make it just a little easier for them to repent and to see God's forgiveness mm -hmm. for themselves. Boy, that's a heavy way to end, but mm -hmm. this is not the easiest session. So there's the spaghetti. We served it up. <laughs> Sauce is on the table. Now that was the great band name you had, Paul Agoda. What was that? Random Spaghetti. Ran oh, I like it. Random spaghetti. I think that's going to be used somewhere soon. Okay, that's, that's it. Maybe we'll uh, re redo the music at the beginning of our episode and call it Random Spaghetti. I like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you redo the music, though, every week my mom's like, oh, that's my favorite part of the podcast. She doesn't Re care what we say. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Your mom has such great taste. She does. So, yeah, true. Yeah. Just, just to let you know, Brad wrote that little piece at the beginning. So mm -hmm. or, do, do we play it at the end, too? We do. Okay. I don't even listen to our own podcast. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so, so play it again, Brad. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you the peace that can only be known through forgiveness now and forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.